0: As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation member, FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations.
2: Cork Garvey is with ING, and he brings to them prodigious econometrics um, as well. I want to go to the econometrics of the moment, and really within that, and the shock of all the fancy mathematics you deal with on debt and central banks every day, what's the overcome by events thing you worry about out there? What's the OBE out there that we need to pay attention to?
3: I think you've got to look at the shape of the curve, Tom, to understand that this is a really unusual set of circumstances. We haven't seen the degree of inversion that we're seeing now uh, in the past four or five decades. And that tells me that the back end of the curve is pricing in a huge degree of uncertainty. I'm not convinced it's entirely the rate cut narrative. I think there's a bit of geopolitics out there. I think there's the reality that the central bank is holding lots of bonds out there. And I think there's anchoring. Um, I have this conversation with traders all the time. Mm-hmm. They, they they say, um, oh, we think the tens are going to go back to 2%. And I would say, why? And they say, well, that's because that's where it was. We're not going back to where we were. Was-
2: okay, I, I mean, this is brilliant, and there's a lot to unpack there, and we don't have the time to do the unpacking today. We'll do our Fabozzi later. The bottom line is we had a four-standard deviation move off the Great Moderation going back to 1985, and that's part of that yield curve spread. And whether if I look at two years compared to 30 years, as you say, truly we're in new territory. Does it signal depressed growth or a duration of subpar economic growth?
3: I doubt that very much. And here's why. If you look at where um, neutrality is, I would suggest neutrality is around 3%. Why 3%, 3% is 2 2.5% two inflation, a half, 1% real yield. And if I look at the back end of the curve, it's not discounting a break below 3 That's hugely important for me. So, I, I think we've had this, this um, unprecedented uh, degree of monetary tightening. It still, in absolute terms, leaves us at approaching 5.5%. Big picture, that's not huge. We've come from zero to 5.5, but not huge. If we get there and we're done and the next move is down, and let's suppose the Fed gets down to 3%, that's a very tolerable outcome. And it doesn't suggest anything like what you've just described.
1: Park-
4: With the balance of risks, which do you think is more concerning, the risk of inflation persisting at a higher level or the risk that rate hikes could really kill the economy?
3: The former is the biggest risk, but I, I, think, I, th- I think the way the Fed is pursuing policy here is, is kind of smart. I know the Fed gets um, a hard rap because of missing the, um, the, the early rate hikes, but 25s from here is quite smart. They've got to keep on 25s and level off. And at a certain point in time, this degree of tightening has got to hurt. You look at lending standards out there, they are as tough <coughs> as they've been since the great financial crisis.
4: But we're not seeing that in the data. And this is really the concern that's causing a lot of people to rethink the balance of risks once again, the sort of you know, schizophrenic nature of disinflation or not. How much do you look at the recent data and the stickiness of inflation and start to question your thesis and start to question if perhaps it's not really restrictive if you look at policy rates right now?
3: Yeah, you're, you're right, Lisa. We're not seeing it in the data for January. Uh, potentially for February. There's a weather impact there. There's a seasonal adjustment factor there. If you stand back and look at the, 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 um, the direction of travel for the data over the past year, we are seeing the impact. With the exception of the labour market, the labour market is where we have this, this remarkable anomaly where we still can't get people <laughs> to, to work, which is incredible to be in that situation right now. That is going to creak, though. We've got to remember that the replacement number in payrolls is 150. Once we get to below 150, we're in growth recession territory. If we go mildly negative, we're in recessionary territory. We don't have to go to a deep recession territory, but the indicators are we're heading in that direction, and it'll be over the next couple of quarters that we see that come to bear.
5: If you want a sneak peek of payrolls for next Friday, not this Friday, but next Friday, the estimate's so far 220 the previous number, 517. I'm not sure what the estimate is worth at this point, and I'm not sure what the previous number is worth either because we could have some monster revision in one way the time, one way or the other, so I won't put too much weight on that. Poreg, I think there's something I'm going to walk away from this conversation with from you. We're not going back there. There's still a lot of people who think we're going back there. And if you look about the arc of, like, the last 12, 18 months, it was we can't live with 2%. We can't live with 3 We can't live with 4 we're about to live with five. What is it that's changed, do you think, in this economy that maybe people haven't grasped? The people that are sitting there saying, we are going back there. What don't they get?
3: We also can't live with five, by the way. Uh, five percent is not an equilibrium. And the equilibrium is, is, is down at three. Um, this is a really unusual set of circumstances, John. I mean, that there are so many anomalies here relative to previous cycles. I think people are not getting a lot of stuff because it's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's all over the place. And it, it goes back to the inversion of the curve and how unusual that is. And I would say the other uh, big anomaly out there is how calm, well, I won't say it's an anomaly, it's a positive thing, how calm the system is. You look at where banks print CP, very tight. You look at where credit spreads are, very contained. There's very little concern about anything breaking. So when I say we're not going to go back there, show me a reason to go back there. Something's got to break. And so far, something hasn't broken. And until we get that, you know, I think up to 5%, down to 3%. It's a pretty tolerable outcome. It includes a bit of a growth recession, um, but not Tom's um, description of Not Tom's
5: doom and and gloom and Armageddon. (laughs) It's been a surprise to us all, to be honest with you particularly in Europe, not just the United States. Lisa, we've talked about this. Just the idea that we're now talking for in Europe and the Italian bond market spreads there are still pretty contained relative to the whites we saw last year.
4: Which suggests we can live with higher than 2% in terms of what that terminal yield can be, as Park was saying.
5: And we're not going back to, to zero anytime soon.
4: People say that, but have they really believed that in I the actual market A lot market of people action. out there that
5: believe we can go back to pre-pandemic trends, low inflation, Low growth, not negative low yields. interest rates, get along big tech. <laughs> this, a, a lot of people still think that. Parag, this was great. Just awesome. Come by more often. Poreg Gavi there of IG Financial Markets on this debt market. Nobody ever says make
0: it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business.
2: Joining uh, Michael McKee is, of course, Carl Riccadonna with uh, BNP Perry by the Chief U.S. Economist. Again, out eight beeps on the 10-year, 4.08%. The 30-year bond is a stunning 4.03%. I want to allude here to the complexities of productivity. I'm going to call it three ratios, lots of partial differentials there. And the bottom line is people like you are hoping and praying that our post-pandemic productivity, that our post-pandemic efficiency, is good, that data tells me uh, maybe not. Fold productivity into this volatile market debate.
6: Well, the, the productivity numbers, if we look at them in year-on-year terms, are actually deep into negative territory, almost down uh, 2%. So we have very strong job gains in an economy that is slowing. So that's not really sustainable, but it can kind of run that way, and inconsistent, the inconsistency can last for you know uh, at least multiple quarters. Does so- unit
2: labor costs of a three-handle, does it lead to the gloom of a wage price spiral? Does it lead to a gloom that we're— not going to get quiescent wage growth.
6: So let's look at that unit labor cost number in year-on-year terms, and it's even more disturbing. It's uh, 6.3%, as I see uh, in the Bloomberg Mm -hmm. table here. So uh, 6% plus... Unit labor costs. If we look at the employment it's cost index running at 5%, uh, <clears throat> these are the elements of wage price spiral. And I know Chair Powell has said he doesn't think we're in a wage price spiral yeah. at the moment, but once you're there, it's too late and it's a very expensive problem. So this factors into how the Fed is thinking right. about the a- Annual
7: average productivity decreased 1.7% from 2021 to 2022, the BLS right. says. The largest annual decline in the measure since 1974.
2: Wow. That's it. And that, that percentage. Precisely
7: gets back to four to
2: five years before Volcker and shows the scope and scale of this historic moment. I just want to point out, Lisa, Rick Adana can come back because he uses the Bloomberg Terminal. (laughs) (laughs) It's good how that
4: works. Well, but but Carl, aside from your usage of the Bloomberg Terminal, I am curious. As you parse through this, we were just talking before these numbers came out that you were looking for more evidence that there was something stickier in nature about these numbers that we got out in January Is this leaning you a little bit closer to that moment?
6: We are seeing persistent inflation everywhere. That's been a longstanding call of uh, my team at BMP. Uh, We're seeing persistent inflation everywhere, including in wages. And there was a little bit of a rollover in Q4. And so Team Transitory was uh, putting on their sneakers to run a victory lap. uh, And it's pretty (laughs) clear uh, that that uh, has kind of washed out now in the most recent data. So we have to see how far this is running. But certainly, you know, I see evidence of labor market softening everywhere I look except for in the economic data. Right. If you open the newspaper, you see layoffs here and hiring intentions down and uh, yeah. all those uh, all those signals. But in the actual macroeconomic data, you're not seeing the cooling of conditions. And
4: we have seen this. Uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article about this as well. I am looking right now at 10-year yields, getting close to that 4.1%, 4.08% rounded up uh, to the nearest 10th, or 100th. I'm curious from your perspective nice, whether we're ahead. getting to a perspective where it is a new regime, where productivity is going to be lower, labor costs costs are going to be higher. You have a different kind of labor market uh, and and workforce that's going to require more investment. Are you seeing enough signs that we are there
6: when you have that kind of heat in the labor cost pressure uh, series on an extended basis? Businesses have no alternative, aside from making the capital investments and the technological technological investments, uh, to drive okay. a, a productivity rebound. Just real quick, the broader story here. We surged in productivity coming out of the uh, pandemic, right? So now this is the correction period. So we shouldn't get too depressed about the low productivity numbers. Also, the, the BLS notes that uh, they applied the historical
7: revisions that they put into the jobs report and okay. into the CPI reports to this release, which is probably why it is such a huge jump. To the
2: two of you here, and you got a minute and a half to warble gaily, as Lisa mentioned earlier today, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And and the answer here is, does this shift the 50 beeps at next meeting debate? Michael?
7: Oh, I would say no. This doesn't. I mean, we have too much data coming out ahead of us that's far more important than this. Uh, Jobs and CPI will have a much bigger influence on the Fed than today's I will
6: warble gaily in uh, in, uh, uniform uh, harmony with uh, Mike. You're not supposed to agree with me. (laughs) It's for bad TV. (laughs) jobs are. The inflation report. That's going to be much more critical. This is kind of stuff we already knew uh, from the. So, what's the uh, inflation report. report look like? The inflation report, if we look into the details. Look at Germany, look at
2: France, look at Spain. Look at at the U.S.
6: service sector inflation, which is what is really driving the Fed reaction function, uh, is showing very little evidence of any kind of disinflationary trend. And you won't see that with wage pressures continuing to accelerate higher.
4: And tomorrow we do get at 10 a.m. the ISM services index, and that is going to be key. Not just the index, but prices paid for that, given the fact that we saw manufacturing prices paid increase to the degree that they did. If you see that kind of move in services, could that really move
6: the Style. Yeah, The okay. prices matter, but it's an activity gauge. So the new orders, the production numbers, that really will tell us more about this potential reacceleration. You know, one th- one thing about the European numbers,
7: too, is they were largely driven by food prices, which has not been a big issue here. I mean, we've had elevated food prices, but we've what seen them come down. What are we being, being driven by then? Uh, service prices, uh, much more Flying so than around. what's been
6: happening... And, getting yeah, but
2: flying, fly. you, well, you had it. You Core were talking
6: yesterday about with or without shelter. I got the three included. of you piling on me together, Mike. Please. <laughs> you,
7: you were talking yesterday about the differences between the way the U.S. and Europe dealt with unemployment during the pandemic. Right. Uh, Europe kept workers on the job by subsidizing employers, and so the employers didn't have to go out and raise wages as much right. as they've had to do in the U.S.
2: Well, let's continue this discussion. We're going to do a data check now. Lisa, help me here because I don't see much spread. Movement. Movement, I do see a 10-year real yield come out to a 1.59%. But in the actual yield space, NASDAQ down a, a 1% here on the NASDAQ uh, 100. but but Lisa, uh, 4.07% yeah. on the 10-year yield is just stunning.
4: The nominal yield is really stunning. what I'm looking at. And not just that, but the 30-year. It crossed 4% for the first time and went straight to 4.02%. And we're looking at just this real trajectory yeah. of higher inflation for longer being gamed out in some of the yield structure. And that, I think, is a game changer.
2: On radio and television, thank you for continuing with us. Priya Miser will join us here uh, in a moment. We thank Carl Rickadina of BNP Paribas and always Michael McKee for... Uh, driving this uh, stunning debate. To put things into perspective, I'm going to do that right now. Priya Misra and Lisa Bramowitz are far, far too young to remember when Bob Redford stood outside the Plaza Hotel uh, in uh, The Way We Were. And with Barbara Streisand, they said, memories, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Guess what? Productivity dynamics are back to 1974. Someone who has been expert at measuring this over to our financial bond market is Priya Misra of TD Securities. And she joins us uh, this morning. We're looking at the history of this, Priya. And we're also looking at your brilliant call on inversion. Although some have been brave recently and said, look, higher yields... I get a coupon along the way. I want to be brave here in February and March of 2023. Did the bravery, the courage, did it slip away this morning?
8: Thanks for having me on. So, no, I think you have to be patient. Um, it's hard to pick the absolute top in yield. You know, you're talking about um, having confidence. I don't have a ton of confidence in the front end because, you know, we know inflation is sticky. We know it's driven. Co-services ex shelter is driven by wages. It's a very tight labor market and companies are hoarding labor. So it's possible that inflation remains persistently high through the year. And the Fed, we think in 25 basis point increments, may have to keep hiking maybe 575, maybe 6%. So, you know, that very front end of the yield curve, I think Mm -hmm. is very driven by data in the near term. The long end, that's your view, that's your neutral rate view. And I think the data is strong on the consumer, on the labor market, not because policies are not restrictive. We are in restrictive territory. It's because the lags have not worked through. I mean, the the Fed fund rate crossed 4% only in December. You have to give the economy more than two months for it to keel over. And I think, you know, that's why the long end is selling off. People expect that interest rates don't matter. I think interest rates matter. They just take a while to show up in terms right. of business investment decisions or uh, spending decisions.
2: Free, I want to go to the it takes a while. If I've got a seven-standard deviation move from very low 30-year yields out to very high 30-year yields, stunningly out above the great moderation, and I go back to whatever the new center tendency is, How long does that take? Is this a matter of six months or is it a matter of six years to get back to normal?
8: So economic theory suggests 12 to 18 months for monetary policy to work through. I mean, you could argue maybe it's a little bit shorter. Maybe it's 12 months, nine months. Um, I will say something that may be making the lags longer this time is that the consumer entered the hiking cycle with a large amount of accumulated savings. Now, those savings are running off. Uh, we're tracking, you know, by the end of this year, we're thinking in the third quarter, those savings are largely gone. That's when the consumer has to start to reckon with higher interest rates, tighter financial conditions, maybe a job market that's not as strong. I mean, there may not be a lot of firing, but job openings start to come off. So I think it's more later this year that we think consumer spending slows down, the job market starts to weaken. So I don't think you're waiting six years, but we, ha- we are watching those savings numbers and the savings continue to come off. But, you know, t- today, if I have a job and I'm making 5% wage growth, uh, you know, wage gains, and I've got savings, I'm spending. I think we're just saying, be careful in extrapolating that because those savings will run out, by the end of the year,
4: how much conviction do you have, Priya, to load
8: the boat on 10 uh, to load the lo- to load the boat on thirty-year treasuries? So I have much more conviction on the ten-year and the thirty-year than I do on the front end. I don't know about loading the boat. Um, I use the word I used, I guess, some a few weeks ago when I started to leg in. I would leg in some more because you know I think you're at we we entered some around three eighty. We'll enter some more longs at four percent. I think the Fed's telling you that they have to engineer a hard landing. They're not going to say it because it's very hard politically to get that through. But how do you get inflation down without a rise in the unemployment rate? So the Fed will have to engineer a rise in the unemployment rate. Then these 4% tens will look really cheap. But is for the peak or 410 ten? No, maybe it goes to 425. So I think you want to have some dry powder to keep adding to it. But I think, you know, these levels in a long term sense, I don't think our star is higher or the neutral rate should be much higher. I think the Fed is committed to 2 percent inflation and we've seen productivity. I don't think the economy can handle very high real rates in the long run.
4: Priya, this is such an important point, And it goes against what Pora Garvey was saying, where he said, listen, people think we're going back to the same kind of regime we were in prior You're saying we are going to go back to that regime. What gives you confidence other than just that the the Fed is committed to a 2 percent inflation regime, especially if a 2 percent inflation regime is different from the prior 10 years, which it wasn't a 2 percent inflation
8: regime, as Tom mentioned. It was a sub 2 percent inflation rate. Right. So, I think there are some structural factors that might be moving inflation a little higher. So, if we were sub 2%, maybe the next 10 years will be a 2% number. But I think inflation does, if the Fed thinks they want to get to 2%, they are going to keep policy restrictive for a while. They're going to keep that front end, you know, not, not cut rates anytime soon. Real, real R-star or real equilibrium rate, I mean, those are driven by productivity, demographics, savings, blood. I don't know if any of this has changed right. uh, you know, after COVID. So maybe it's not zero, it's 50 basis points, right. but we're well north of that in terms of uh, market pricing of real rates. Uh,
2: Priya, with respect to the giant Stanley Fisher, who I would suggest codified ultra-accommodative as his work as the vice chairman. And Ben Emmons at Newlands just writes this up. I've never used this phrase before, Priya. And Ben doesn't predict this, but he suggests, does this data drive us out to ultra-restrictive? Is the larger pendulum here from ultra-accommodative out to ultra-restrictive?
8: No, I think it's fair. I mean, the move in real rates, it's not just a front end real rates. Look at where 10 year real rates are. And the speed of the move over the last year, the extent of tightening, I think can move us from ultra accommodative to ultra restrictive. But we're not seeing it in the data yet. And so I think this is where we need right. to be patient. I don't know if the Fed can be patient. Can you know? Are they going to feel the pressure to go faster, go higher? We mm. actually think they're going to be mm. patient and go at 25, well. try and feel their way around that end point, and then keep it there for a while until inflation comes down. But yeah, we are in restrictive territory. I think there's no question. We just got there pretty late last year, though.
2: Very good. Priya Mizra, thank you so much for joining us from the Fixed Income Fallout Shelter. She is with TD
0: Security. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients nationwide is on your side nationwide investment services corporation member finra columbus ohio
1: take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card it offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business you can also earn up to 395 dollars in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants
2: Dan Ives joins us now with Wedbush here on his enthusiasm for uh, a Musk automotive. Uh, Dan, I I, I look at the desire for a a cheap electric car. Everyone else has the same desire. Uh, I'll leave it up to you, Nissan, et cetera, et cetera. Isn't he competing at the low price point with five, six, seven, eight other vehicles?
9: Look, I mean, no doubt to hit the masses, you need a sub-30K vehicle. I think what Musk showed yesterday in the Tesla Vision is, from production in scale, and their ad in Mexico, batteries that, that I believe would come down 30 40%, they're now going to be able to hit those and hit the masses. And I think ultimately it's a flex-the-muscles moment for Tesla, especially with a lot of the industry stumbling.
2: Okay, well, this is fine, but as John mentioned, and I saw a stream of disappointment over this investor day. There was a stream about the Goldman Sachs Investor Day, but it was nothing. What was your take on two guys in black T-shirts up with mics
9: given an Investor yeah. Day? I mean, I don't get it. Yeah, look, I think these Investor days, look, we've seen it with Apple and, and Cupertino. You tend to come out wanting more, more meat on the bone. I, I think for Tesla, as we've seen before, they lay out the foundation, sometimes don't unveil. The actual vehicle, they talked about two new vehicles coming out, but but the last thing they want to do is sort of, you know, get ahead of this. I think this is something that will be probably a separate event, but I think the foundation to get to three to five million vehicles and eventually 20 million, it's there. And I think ultimately that's why. You know, I believe, along with Apple, most transformational companies in the market.
4: Dan, there's been a lot of narrative about how companies are moving their supply chain out of China, including Elon Musk, despite uh, some of his rhetoric supporting the cause in China and supporting his business there. How much credence do you put into this? Is this just anecdotal, uh, specific incidents that don't really move the dial? Or is there a seismic shift out of China to insulate some of these companies from the geopolitical risk?
9: Yeah, look, normally it's smoke and mirror type Beltway talk. I think this is real in terms of Inflation Reduction Act. There's a real incentive from a tax perspective. That's why you're seeing more and more of a build out in around Austin. I think you'll see more of a build out in Fremont as well. But we're seeing it across tax. I think you're going to see more come to the U.S. But no doubt right now, and it is for, you know, called the next three to five years. China is going to continue to be the hearts and lungs of the supply chain. And I think Tesla is just really sort of balancing between China and non-China. That's why you're seeing that build out now in Mexico as well.
4: Dan, how do you game out the market risk tied to the presence of a lot of these tech companies? And I'm including Tesla in that loosely because it could be an industrial company. How do you include the risk of increasing geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and China, disrupting supply chains, forcing, a more rapid shift in, uh, in some sort of supply chain issue earlier that would cause some of the margins to compress?
9: I mean, look, just to put it in context, Apple, if they if they went full in and wanted to move production out of China, best case in the next three years, they can move 5% of production out of China. I mean, they're, this is such the hearts and lungs almost cemented so it's something where it would take a long time mm-hmm. to start to move 5%, 10% of production. That's why the reality, and we saw it with Tesla and Apple in terms of the zero COVID issues in December, I mean, really at the mercy of China and Beijing for now, although slowly right. moving you know, in the opposite direction.
2: Uh, Dan, what were your February channel checks on various and sundry tech names?
9: I mean, it's holding up much, much better than feared. I mean, even coming out of Asia, not seeing any sort of supply chain cuts for, for iPhone, which I think is important. Right. And I think what you saw from Salesforce and across the board, you know, this is not necessarily the minute they yell fire in a crowded right. theater in terms of what we're seeing. Uh,
2: Dan, it'd be a crowded theater for some of the parts analysis from you on Apple. Somebody asked on the show the other day, "Some of the parts," and I said I really don't know because nobody wants to mention how high that's this is this the, three, two, one statistic is. Apple, one hundred and fifty dollars a share. What's the sum of the parts?
9: I mean, some of the parts, bull case, gets you to two twenty-five to two forty. Base case 200. I think the big thing is the services business, and that's a permanent re-rating that we see there. And now when you start to see more and more, especially with the the next iPhone, and you have 25% of the base that have not upgraded, I think there's a stock that's going to have a two in front of it this year, despite the macro... And obviously, many, you know, negative well, on tax. Where's
2: the two come from in the numerator and the denominator? Just P.E. or price to cash flow or price to record share buybacks. What drives it over 200?
9: I mean, it's really services. I believe it's one point three to one point four trillion. Of course, you have the franchise hardware business. And then you start to look at the capital allocation program. I mean, that's what drives you anywhere from that low to mid-two level um, in
5: terms of where I see the stock going. Dan, just to finish on Tesla, if yesterday was so good, why is the stock down 6%? I think
9: it's just a typical sell in the news. Street always wants more. Stock sells off, the haters come out. But ultimately, mean, in terms of the path, in terms of record deliveries, where they're playing, I think this is more flex the muscles. more. we be buying on the sell-off coming out of these events.
5: What about the Cybertruck, Dan? What's happening with that?
9: Yeah, I mean, look, I think this is something where by the end of this year, you're going to see ultimate deliveries come out in production. And it's important. And and that's why I think this ultimately lays the groundwork for what we see as the next vehicle, you know, from the Tesla ecosystem.
5: Did you get enough from them yesterday on that release?
9: I felt yesterday they basically doubled down to that. That target's going to continue to be there. It's not The goalposts are not going to get moved out further. I think a year from now, you're driving around Manhattan and you see Cybertrucks.
5: Okay. In the wild. Dan Ives of Wedbush. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it, as always.
2: Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, tune in and the Bloomberg business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keane and this is Bloomberg.